thanks uh, for starting the new Sunday school year off right. I appreciate that. It's good to see you guys. Um, two weeks in a row without Sunday school is like death to me. So I just, I'm so pumped. I'm so excited, in fact, that I decided to teach two Sunday school lessons today, which is why your handout is four pages long. So, well, that'll kill a class in a heartbeat, won't it? You see the, no. So here's, here's where we're at. We're going through this 100-week overview of the Bible. And uh, five weeks in the Old Testament, five weeks in the New Testament, back and forth. We are now, yes, Daniel? Rated R, yes. If there are any children of listening age in the room today, today is a rated R Sunday school lesson. So just want to give you a heads up on that. So we're good, and thank you very much. Um, not due to violence, actually. Uh, well, violence sort of too, yeah. It's kind of in there. So we're also, um, so five weeks in the old, five weeks in the new, five weeks in the old, five weeks in the new. We did 25 lessons in 2011, and when I laid out this schedule in late, I guess it was September of 2010, I laid out the 2011-2012 Sunday school schedule. And I know, I'm just laughing, it's okay. That's what I do. Um, so when I laid this out, I made the assumption that we we're going to have Sunday school on January 1st. We didn't. So that kind of threw a kink in my 100-week series because how do you make up a week? Well, you just do two in one week. So we're going to do two in one week. Now, the two that we're doing, one of these, about 80% of this content I have already taught in a prior series going through. And I didn't realize that when we hit this lesson. This is the lesson on um, Israel's disobedience as we walk into and kind of get an overview of the book of Judges. So we'll move a little quicker through that and then still have some time for uh, tent pegs as we move toward the end of the lesson. So, you got your Bibles, we're in the book of Judges, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. I was kind of nervous that I would goof that up, bud, so I really was. Um, you know, because when you do everything on the computer, you don't flip through pages anymore. Not, it's just the way it works. So. so, I've got a timeline there on the bottom of the front page of your handout, uh, kind of gives you a frame of where we are. Uh, Moses is about 1500 B.C. Solomon's about 1000 B.C. The judging period is in between those two. Uh, we're really in the uh, late 1300s, early 1300 B.C.s. Uh, so that's where we're at. Now, so quick review of where we've been. For the first 2500 years of the world's history, God spoke directly to patriarchs, and patriarchs would tell others how things were supposed to go. The law came. We now have written documentation of what God's expectations are. This can be passed around. This can be taught. This is a good thing. Moses and Joshua are very closely associated with the law. They gave the law, and they taught the law, and they ingrained the law in the Israeli culture and, and uh, uh, community. So when Joshua dies, which is what we see in our first lesson this morning, when Joshua dies, it's up to the people, and you remember we talked about this before, this passing of the baton, right? You've got to pass the baton of ministry on to the next generation. You've got to train somebody to do your job. And you've got to train them so well that when you're gone, they can still do it and can train somebody else. This is the Jesus model of ministry, right? Is you watch me do it, I'll watch you do it, and then I'm gone. And it was a very short turnaround. You know, Jesus was only with the, the apostles for about three years. And they had to pick up everything he knew and knew how to do in that amount of time. So the judges then bridge this gap between Moses and Joshua and later on when Israel starts uh, electing, or not electing, but uh, setting up kings for herself. Uh, so we go, the patriarchs, 
Moses and Joshua, the judges, then the kings, then the prophets, then this silent period, and then Jesus comes on the scene. So that's the Old Testament timeline in a nutshell. So if you've got your Bibles open in Judges chapter 2, we're in verse 6. Here we go. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, remember this speech? What was his speech? There's this famous line in this speech. What did he say in this speech? Choose you this day as to whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So he has, he has just delivered this speech. Verse 6 is right on the heels of that. When he had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went to each his own inheritance to possess the land. So they're doing what God told them to do. Verse 7. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. Which means Joshua did what? He passed the baton, right? So everybody that was alive when Joshua was alive got it, knew it, and did it. He passed the baton. And here's the problem. Who had, these folks had seen the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old, and they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath Heres in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gash. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Ah, exactly. It's just this, what? How much effort God took in getting these people out of Egypt and protecting them through this wilderness and giving them the law and giving them leadership like Joshua and a whole other generation of leadership. And then this next generation just didn't do anything. They didn't do anything with it. So I've skipped a blank. I'm going to go back. So the key thought here for this lesson is that every generation matters. Every generation matters. We don't get to take a break from Christianity. Okay? Um, we'll talk about this a lot more as we go through, but every generation matters. So let's talk for just a second about why this generation did not know the Lord. So what would some reasons be? Because the text does not tell us explicitly. Okay? So there's a couple obvious options, I think. One would be what? Yeah, they may just not have been taught, right? They may have just been uh, cisterns of just we're gathering, 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 and you just soak up and soak up and soak up and blow it up, and you don't ever do anything with your, what Daryl calls the 7-Eleven Big Gulp, right? You just blow it up. Well, you got to pass that on to somebody, right? So what could another reason be? They could have rejected it. They could have consciously rejected it. They are in a totally different time and place. They are now in Canaan. Where, who is surrounding them? My favorite P word, pagans. Yes, they're in the middle of a group of pagans. And these, they could have seen the practices of these pagans and said, you know what? We want that more than we want this. And really, honestly, what they did is they didn't completely and totally move away from everything Yahweh-related. They just mixed in everything else. My mom, growing up, casserole night. And it was the leftovers of whatever we ate that week. So I think probably a better, I'll, I'll use this blank toward the end of this part of the lesson. Um, maybe they had a casserole theology, right? A little of this, and 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 that's absolutely not what God wants. God wants 100% pure USDA grade A beef Yahweh. That's it. Nothing else in there. Right? So, Dave, they did not see the miracles. Remember, this generation was the first generation that did not see the Red Sea parted. They did not see God's hand do all these amazingly wonderful things. They heard about them. 
And in this culture, gods were associated with a very specific geographic location. It could have been that this generation associated the god of Egypt that delivered them out of Egypt and the god of the wilderness as a god of war. When you need to win a battle, you call on Yahweh. But when you need your crops to grow, look at verse 11. Then the children did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. So this is the R-rated portion of today's lesson. So the Baals uh, were a, uh, a geographically oriented religion. Um, you've heard of this uh, in the New Testament concept. Paul talks about this in Corinthians. He gives the Corinthians some really strange advice. He says, don't commit sexual immorality when you go together to worship. And you read the text and you're like, what? Where did that come from? I mean, how did you come from like, hi, welcome to Stuart Heights Baptist Church to, yeah, in the back we've got, I mean, what in the world is going on here? Okay, so put, put your monotheistic hat to the side for just a second and put on a polytheistic hat, a, a many-gods hat. So if you have a god for war, okay, then you have a god for the sun, and you have a god for agriculture. Agriculture is the process of fertilization and growing, right? Baal was the specific god of rain, okay? They thought that Baal, when he would ride his chariot through the clouds, was sprinkling something on the ground to fertilize it so that it would rain. So how do you worship a god who is closely related with sex? Well, obviously, you pay a temple prostitute to have sex. Ugh. Right? I mean, it's just, it's awful. Now, the scriptures don't go into a great amount of detail around what exactly the worship of Baal is, because everybody, yeah, praise the Lord, right? Because everybody who, who read this at that time knew exactly what they were talking about, right? It'd be like me going into a lengthy explanation of what a 7-Eleven is. Why would I do that? Just say 7-Eleven. Everybody knows. Convenience store where you can buy stupid stuff, right? It's way overpriced and get a big gulp. That's it. It's this whole value, right? So they serve the Baals. Now, this was a real problem in Israel because this presence of Baal shows up, here's your next blank, for another 800 plus years. 800 and something years. I mean, talk about an investment that just keeps providing returns, right? You, you're going to sow, you're going to reap what you sow. Um, so verse 12, And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them. And they served and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the, what's your translation say? Anybody want to take a stab at that one? Ashtoreths, yes. So if Baal was the male god, Ashtoreth was the female god. So there's a god for everybody. That's basically what this is. So they have rejected the God of Israel, the God of Yahweh, and they have gone off into pagan sexual immorality. Now, let's think about this for a second. What was the state of medicine at this point in the culture. You go to your local drugstore and get a prescription for whatever. If you develop some type of problem as a result of your temple prostitution worship practices, 
No, you couldn't. What happened? You died or you spread it to somebody else. So when you see, and this is something Terry Brown really helped me understand. We were going through the uh, Wednesday night um, shoe class this last time. It was over the minor prophets. And I really never put all the dots together around, so why did God need to wipe so many cultures out? It was just, it seemed like really angry at times. Well, he, could have, he had two choices. You either take away the problem or you miraculously cure your people. Right? And a lot of times he took away the problem. So when you see God going in and wiping civilizations off the face of the earth, it's to, is something dripping over there? Okay, sorry. Squirrel. <laughs> it happens to me too. I know. I, I tease Gary about it constantly, but it's, it's very challenging. So he really had two options. He could wipe them off the face of the earth or he can miraculously heal them and he just wiped them off the face of the earth a lot of times. And many times this was the most humane thing to do because you stop the suffering of an entire people. And it's, you, we put our uh, politically correct 2012 uh, brains in gear and we go, well, that didn't sound very humane. Let me tell you something, guys. Whatever God does is right and timely and holy. And when you walk into the scriptures with that mindset, it helps you to explain so many other things. We can then begin to adjust our thinking to the behaviors and the actions of God rather than explaining what God did in our terms. It doesn't matter if I can understand it. Whatever he did was right. That's the bottom line. Yes. Yeah, and how they, yeah, they just killed the cows, right? Yeah. And was that the humane thing to do? It, and burned them, right? And you see this in the, New Testament, in the Old Testament too. I mean, it's, it's not pretty. It's not sanitary. It's not antiseptic. It's no little Band-Aid on top of it, but... That's what's needed. Yeah, God clicks the reset button periodically, and that's the best thing to do. So he can, he knows it, he does it, that's the right thing. All right, verse 16. Verses 16, 17, 18, and 19 are a great summary. Here's your blank. A great summary of the book of Judges. So if you ever wonder, like, well, what's the book of Judges about? These four verses are it. It's the Lord raised up judges, and the word judges, I'm sure, I'm almost positive, that nobody has a different translation than the word judges in your Bible since that's like the title of the book. But there's a lot of ways to translate this word. It can be translated as judges, governors, vindicators, punishers, or heroic leaders. If you look at what the judges do as they move through this book, you get to this point where some nation is oppressing Israel, and we need somebody to rise up and lead the people. We need a hero. And what does God do? God sends his spirit to indwell somebody, and he provides a hero. I love this song, too. I know. I want to sing it so bad right now. Who's, who's the artist? Is it Skillet? Yes. Um, I like Skillet. Skillet's an awesome band. I like Rage in the Shower in the Morning. It's hilarious. All right. <laughs> 16. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges or heroic leaders who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Verse 17. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but played the harlot. Does this term make a little more sense now? Yeah, they played the harlot. It can be literal too, okay? With other gods and bowed down to them, they turned quickly from the way which their fathers walked. Obeying, in obeying the commandments of the Lord, they did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who had oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead 
that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. You see the pattern. 90% of the lessons that you will ever hear on this text are, and this is how it relates to your life, because there will be ups and downs in your spiritual life, and you can relate to the children of Israel. It's like, great, teach that to your fourth grader. But there's some really bad crap going on here, okay? And you need to know this. This is bad, bad, bad stuff. This is not, I had a bad day and showed dis disdain for one of my coworkers. This is, I went off and had sex with a temple prostitute to worship some other god. I'm sorry, you had no idea what you were walking into. <laughs> His eyes got like this big. <laughs> it's like, I sincerely apologize, yeah. Yeah, you get the podcast and download, listen to like the first 10 minutes, it'll make a lot more sense. So. All right, so, so fast forward. We're now in Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3. Verse 1 talks about some of the nations, and 2, some of the nations, and 3, some of the nations that are, that are coming and oppressing Israel. Verse 4, And they were left that he might test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord which he had commanded their father by the hand of Moses. So this disobedience led to several hundred years of testing. That didn't sound too fun, does it, Justin? Hundreds of years of testing. I am not a subscriber that my dad dictates my relationship with God. Okay? He does not set that in stone for me. But he can send me down a path that is very challenging. Would you agree? We are, we are a product of our environment to a certain degree. So verse 5, Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their, sons to their, son, their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. So now we're not just worshiping others, we're intermarrying, right? So it's getting worse. So here's what the generation has looked like. Moses, they mostly served God under Moses, right? Because Moses called them stiff-necked and mean and stubborn. and you know, was, There were some ups and downs there. Joshua, the scripture says they served, Joshua, they served God all the days of Joshua. The elders, they served God. And then the elders' children, there was this mixed worship. Or if you want to go back to the earlier part of the Sunday school lesson, the casserole worship. Okay? Everything just goes in, gets thrown in. All right, so there's a quote in here I want to read you from David Gazik, one of his commentaries. See, the continual cycle makes us less and less confident of man and more and more impressed with the mercy and grace of God. And that's the big hero of the Old Testament, right? The, the real heroes of the Old Testament are not Othniel and Ehud and Shamgar and Deborah and all these other judges. That's the first four judges, by the way. It took me like 20 minutes to memorize that because they have such awkward names. I kept wanting to say Shamwow for Shamgar, but I didn't. I just told you they would laugh. I told you they would laugh. All right, so what's the point? She scoffed. There was some scoffing. There was some Lot's wife stuff going on there. All right. So what's the point of this first? Uh, but she's made of sugar, not salt. Okay. Redeem myself there. So what's the point of this first lesson? Well, baton passing is twofold. There's the giving and the receiving. It can't stop. Uh, passing the baton must continue forever. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. We don't ever get to stop passing the baton of Christianity. Um, and then number two, down on the personalized, what do I do with that? My faith will help to define my children's faith, whether good or bad. It's not going to be my children's faith, but my faith can help to define it. Um, 
Josh, was it convenient to get Ike up this morning and get him ready for church? Where's Katie at? She's, she's handling Ike right now, right? Yeah, that's not convenient, is it? No, it's, it's a milk incident. I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> Shouldn't even have said that. That's not the rated R portion of the lesson. Sorry. Um, it's not convenient, though, is it? But you know what you're doing? You ever played, uh, I, I really suck at bowling. It is, there's three things in life that I have determined that I cannot do. I can't uh, bowl, sing, or dance. It's not going to happen. I've never yet scored 100 in bowling. It's, I mean, it's awful. It's awful. Give me a basketball. I can stand out there blindfolded and make as many as you want. Bowling is just awful. But there's this thing called bumper bowling. Have you seen this? Where these bumpers come up? You can't throw it in the gutter. It's the greatest thing ever. And that's what you're doing with Ike right now. You're putting up the bumpers, right? Now, if Ike wanted to, can he throw it over the bumper? Absolutely, you can. But you're putting up some bumpers. And that's, you're helping define your son's faith. So thank you for that. All right, so next lesson. Here we go. <laughs> You're like, you can't do it. Oh, yes, I can. Here we go. So Deborah. Deborah is the only female judge in the Bible. Did you know there was a female judge in the Bible? It's really... Deborah, I just told you. Come on now. Are you paying attention here? This is really... It's not complicated. All right, so a theme in this passage is that courage is not limited by gender. Courage is not limited by gender. And all the men said, amen, because they've been putting up with us for this whole time, okay? That's crazy. So a key thought here is that heroes encourage others to obey God. So this is the Judges 4 and 5. We're really not even going to touch chapter 5. We're only going to look at chapter 4. Judges 4, verse 1. When Ahud, is that an awesome name or what? I skipped Ahud's story, and I kind of wanted to talk about Ahud because there's this awesome fat man in Judges chapter 3 that just rarely gets discussed, but go back and read Judges chapter 3 and, and look at the fat man, because he's awesome. So, Othniel was the first judge, Ahud was the second judge, Shamgar was the third judge, and Deborah was the fourth judge. So we're several judges into this judging process when we get to Deborah. When Ahud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Remember this cycle. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, Sisera is the captain bad guy, okay? There's a lot of names in this chapter. Sisera is the bad guy. Deborah is the good judge, okay? Verse 3, And the children of Israel, carried, the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron. Okay? This is the Old Testament equivalent of stealth bombers. Okay? This is, you did not mess with chariots of iron. Um, I love to watch massively epic, long, old-school stories. Troy and uh, Alexander, they're fantastic, because I love to watch the battle scenes, because it helps me understand how this stuff works. In Alexander, there's a scene where these chariots are racing through the, the desert, and these chariots have these massive, like, spears sticking out the wheels, and they would come racing through, and they would just hack the legs off of all the guys that were standing in the way. Because if you make these out of iron, and you make this out of iron, and you get it going fast enough, whatever's in the way has got a real problem. Right? So this is the enemy. The enemy has stealth bombers, and you have sticks and rocks. This is a period where Israel's being oppressed. In chapter 5, we learned that the Israelites didn't have any weapons. 
Keep that in mind as we go through the story. It's awesome. Verse 4, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, awful name, was judging Israel at that time, and she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah, of course, right? Makes sense to me. Between, I thought it was funny, but between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim, and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinadom, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor? Barak was the commander of the military army. If you were looking for a hero, who should it have been? It should have been the commander of the military army. But he needed some encouraging. He needed somebody to tell him to get up off his butt and go do his job. So she does this. She says, Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun, and against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I, and I will deliver him into your hand. So Deborah is challenging him. Now, I think that she is respectful when she does this. She is always respectful and always encouraging him to do what God has already told him to do. This is not she comes in and sets some authority over him and tells him what to do. This is, has not God already told you to do this? You can kind of hear the inflection go up at the end of the sentence, right? So what does he do? And Brock said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Do you see we need a hero? Does everybody see we need a hero here? We need a hero. Okay, so she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Which doesn't ring as true now as it did then, but it's kind of like, that's not good, man. That's not good. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called these two tribes of Israel to Kadesh. And he went up with 10,000 men under his command, and Deborah went with him. So here they are. They're ready to go fight. Verse 11. Now Heber, the Kenite of the children of Hobab. You can't make the names up. It's just too funny. The father-in-law of Moses had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree at Zainim, which is beside Kadesh. And they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So there's some spying going on here. Barak's being sold out at this point. So Sisera gathered all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him. Verse 14, Then Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? En encouraging, encouraging once again. So Sisera's got his 900 chariots of iron and all of his men ready to go, and Deborah decides now is the time to strike. <laughs> he is one bad dude, okay? That's all I'm saying. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. Now give this, the man led his men, and the men followed. Okay, he led his men. He eventually did what God told him to do. Verse 15, And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth. Not even going to try that one. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. And you're wondering, so how did they defeat the iron chariots? Do you know who really controls the weather? Because the children of Israel thought that Baal controlled the rain. But you know, rain can do something else to a desert. Rain can turn desert into mud. And when you have iron chariots that are trying to slog through mud, guess what happens? You don't work. 
Here's the blank. Chariots of iron are heavy and do not work well in the mud. God sent lots and lots of rain. That's what he does. What's that? It's in chapter 5. In Deborah's song, uh, she talks about, you know, sometimes in the retelling of a story, we find out additional details that we didn't find in the original telling of the story. Deborah's song is in verse 5 where she sings about all the glories of this battle, and she talks about the mud. And you're like, the mud? Oh, it must have rained. That's awesome because that's what God did. Pretty cool stuff. So now we get to the object on your table. Everybody pick one. Everybody, there should be one or two at each table. Somebody pick one up. Anybody know what that is? It's a tent peg. Now, this is a uh, 21st century version tent peg. The Bible version of the tent peg would have been much longer. Much longer. We'll learn about this now. Verse 17. However, Sisera, remember, Sisera is the commander of the bad guy army, okay? Fled away on foot to the tent of Jael. That's a girl. The wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was a peace between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. He thought he was safe here. He thought this was a safe place to go. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. Do not fear. If he only knew what was coming. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. You remember, he's running. He's running for his life. His army just got smashed. All of his, he needs a place to hide. Here's a place of rest. This is great. Verse 19, then he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk. Did she give him what he asked for? No. What does milk do when you're tired? Oh, I'll just doze off here for a second. It won't be a problem. Yep, and that's what happened. And he said to her, Stand at the door of the tent, and if any man comes and inquires of you and says, Is any man here? You shall say no. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and a hammer and went softly into him and drove the tent peg into his temple. And it went down into the ground. For he was fast asleep and weary, and there's the most obvious sentence in the entire Bible, so he died. <laughs> You're like, no, <laughs> he'd have been a bad dude if that hadn't have killed him. Right? Now, in this day and age, guess whose job it was to erect the tents? It was the women's job. This was her job. She was quite efficient at it. Okay? Now, God used rain to defeat his army and a tent peg to defeat him. He wants whatever you've got in your hand. Okay? Whatever you've got in your hand, he can use. That's what he does. Even if it was used deceitfully. And we'll get to that here in just a second. So, verse 22, And then, as Barak pursued Sisera, remember, he's still chasing him, Jael came out to meet him and said, Come, I will show you the man whom you seek. He's going to show it off now. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. And he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera, dead with the peg in his temple. You're like, how do you make this up? It's just, it's amazing story that God will use this woman's treachery. And I say treachery because he came into the house under a banner of peace. She told him he would be safe there. There was a covenant-type agreement here in this period where if you came into someone else's house, they were responsible for your safety. And they could be held accountable for anything that happened to you under their, under their tent, in this case. So, here's the, the blank here. The lesson for us is important. God can make even the evil of man serve his purposes. It's on the back side of that next page. God can make even the evil of man serve his purposes. 
He's that wise. You, we will not thwart God's plans. How about we say it that way? We will not. You can try, you will fail. There have been lots of people that have failed. The Bible is filled with the stories of those who have failed. Some end up with tent pegs in their foreheads or in their temples. It's, it's not a good story. So, verse 23 all the way through Judges chapter 5 is the story. It's the song of this is what happened. This is what God did. Isn't God awesome? So, what's the point? Number one, down there at the bottom, apply. What's the point? Told you I'd get there. Courage is not limited by gender. Amen? Mm, no kidding. Heroes encourage others to obey God, and God will use anything to accomplish his plan. If you want to put tent pegs in the blank, that'll work too. So God wants to use everyone. Recognize God's hand at all times. And the last blank is, who am I encouraging to obey God? Who am I encouraging to obey God? So there you go. Two Sunday school lessons in one Sunday school class. I have never done that before. I'm kind of pumped about that. I was so excited. Now, at your tables, make sure that everybody who was sitting there gets their name written on the uh, announcements page. Uh, a couple things going on tonight. Uh, make sure you pay attention to the bulletin for those. Write your prayer requests down. I'm going to open the doors at 10 till, and we've got to skedaddle into the service. Thanks for coming, guys. You've started the year well. Keep it up.